for at least the past year. John, Katie, and I have been trying to figure out how we can address the pervasive problem that so many of us have. I guess it fits pervasive. That means so many of us have it. Of feeling lost at sea when it comes to news. It it comes at us through our social media feeds. It comes at us through Yahoo. It comes at us through the television, through YouTube, when we're looking for a, a video on cooking. Like there are all these news outlets and all these stories, and it is so hard for us to know what's reliable and what's not who to trust and who not to trust, who's biased and where they're biased. And we keep talking about like, what would a healthy media diet be? Like how much news should we be looking at? What news should we be looking at for what reason? And we just couldn't find somebody to guide us. And we, we would keep coming back to it and we wouldn't find anyone. And, and about a month ago, John said, I think I think I know who we should have. I don't know if we'll be able to get her. But there's this woman named Vanessa Otero who who created in 2016, kind of in response to the craziness of that political climate, something called the Media Bias Chart, which you could see at mediabiaschart.com. And he said, I don't know if we'll be able to get her, but she would be the person that could guide us. And in a classic case of you never know unless you ask, we asked. And she said, sure, I'd love to come and talk to you. Um, and I'm going to share with you this interview. And it's really good. She's so smart and warm and kind. And it turns out that she's also an interesting person just in her own life. Not just a news nerd. But before you listen to this interview, I really want to encourage you, if you have access to a device, which you must if you're listening to this podcast, stop and go look up mediabiaschart.com. You'll see the chart. It's it's just one chart. She does it every year. She did the first one all by herself, and now she has like 40 people analyzing this stuff, putting it together with her. People on the left, people on the right, people in the center, helping her to rate like every news outlet you could imagine in a bunch you've never even heard of on their reliability and on their bias. And it's, it's so much easier if you've seen it, you'll know what we're talking about. And I think you'll, you'll like what we're talking about. And so, you know, very seldom do I say like, for the subject we want to talk about, we found the perfect guest, but oh my goodness, you're going I'm, to, I just enjoy this conversation a lot. And, uh, and when it's over and you're like, but where are those 10 newsletter suggestions or where, where's this, where's that? Don't worry. Like, look at the show notes. We'll have all that stuff there. Uh, yeah, I I don't even know if I'm going to see you on the other side of this one. Like, this is just a conversation that by the end of it, you'll know exactly where we're at. And so all I'm going to have to say on the other side is I hope you dug it. And so go dig it. Well, Vanessa, one thing you're going to figure out really fast is that like, I watched you on some really kind of cool 
heady, thoughtful news outlets. And I thought, this is a different podcast. I, All right. Because just because we're not a news thing, we're like we are not ripped from the headlines. This isn't even a, a news analysis thing. Um, it's it, the 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 folks. I don't know if you're at all familiar, but like the folks who listen yeah. to this sh- show are mostly people who grew up in evangelical Christianity. Cool. And at some point in their life, deconverted. I did. I did read that part of the background, and I'm yeah. excited to talk about that because uh, I I know a little bit about that. And Do you? well, you live in Colorado, so well, I live in Colorado, and uh, I was uh, I was raised Lutheran, and you know went to a, a small you know, Lutheran school uh, for elementary school, and uh, I went to UCLA, and I uh, identified as a Christian. When I got to campus, and one of my first experiences, uh, the first week of college, was like um, getting recruited by evangelical Christian student groups, and I was yeah. like, "They're like, oh, you're a Christian." I'm like, um, "Yeah," uh, and so I got I got sucked into brand? some I got sucked into some um, some clubs and realized that you know it it got pretty evangelical pretty quickly, and uh, I'm not there anymore, so I don't need to go into that like whole story, but uh, I can if you want, but you know. I know uh, a lot of uh, Bible verses and songs from when I, I grew up as a child. I know a lot of praise songs. Like I've got that like cultural knowledge. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so you know if you if you busted out a praise song, I would probably know it. And, Hallelujah. <laughs> um, and that, but that helps me connect with folks who um, are are still you know evangelical Christians. Well, and. I mean, two things that are really interesting to me about that story is, first of all, a Lutheran showing up at UCLA. Lutheran is kind of evangelical light. like Right. It wasn't super evangelical. It wasn't a, uh, my church that I grew up in wasn't evangelical at all. Not really political at all. Um, pretty, pretty laid back. I mean, Luther is like the OG Protestant, right? So, um, you know, he was er, the original bad boy, but you know, it doesn't have that. Uh, Lutherans are pretty chill. Um, and you know, even like, so when I met evangelical Christians, I'm like, wow, this is a harder core version of this. A lot of that revolves around the fact that I'm I'm gay, you know, and so in. Uh, but my uh, Lutheran pastor, growing up, going to church, like that was just not a a big deal. Not, not a cultural culture war thing. I remember being in a, like a communion class, a first communion class, and one of my classmates asked the pastor like if being gay was wrong because of the Bible, and he was like, "Well, you know, the Bible says some things that are you know a little outdated, and it's not worry about that one too much, right?" And I was <laughs> like, "Oh, okay, that's cool." I wasn't like it was thirteen, like not thinking of these things at the time, but then um, you know, in high school, I started going to some like. Like fun churches with all the fun songs, and those tend to be like pretty evangelical, more exciting, more more fun than like the boring church, uh, but more hardcore on the like homosexuality and culture wars and all that stuff. And I was like, uh, and so that then I really started to to wrestle with some things. So um, you know, and then going to uh, UCLA and then getting wrapped up in some you know very evangelical groups. I remember walking home one day uh, from a science class because I was pre med with a classmate, and she said, um, "You know, we had just had a discussion in biology class about evolution," and she's like, "Well, none of that stuff is true, anyways." And I was like, "Excuse me, like." What are we talking about here? Like, what kind of group am I involved with? 
<laughs> so, so were, were you aware of yourself as a gay person in high school and, and early college when you were in yeah. that state? Yeah. And, and, and then there was like, you know, there were these, uh, I would participate in these like Bible study groups where they'd be like, oh, homosexuality is wrong. And I'm like, hold on. <laughs> like I had enough like self-awareness and like self-confidence um, from, you know, it hadn't been ingrained in me from like a very young age from this Lutheran church that, you know, this was wrong. And I was like, I don't think I'll think Christians think that. So I actually like sought out other um, Christians. This, this was like, you know, late nineties, early two thousands uh, at UCLA. So there were like Methodist groups and universal uh, Unitarian uh, universalist groups that were like, no, you can be Christian and like, you know, homosexuality is fine. And, you know, I, I sort of got back to, uh, you know, just more reason, reason thinking about it. So, okay. So I got you at UCLA and you're at, at one point you're studying to be a medical student. But you did go to law school. Well, I was a I was pre med because when I decided on what career I wanted to be uh, at the age of ten, uh, you know the choices are lawyer, doctor, teacher, and I was like, well, you know, success. I want to be successful and help people generally, so doctor. Uh, and I took all the classes and stuff, but I really had a passion for English. It was uh, so I was an English major. I thought about, you know, having done really well in the verbal parts of all the tests that I had taken. And I was like, why don't I just take a test? It's all verbal, which is the LSAT. And so I took that, did pretty well, and uh, went to law school at the in the evening program at the University of Denver because I was living in Colorado then uh, already. And there's two law schools. One of them has an evening program. That's how, that's how I ended up as a lawyer. Were you a news junkie? Were yeah. You, were you... Were you interested in what was going on in politics and oh, were yeah. you following all that stuff? Yeah, I love I love news and politics. Um, you know, ever since I was young, um, my dad was always like, Oh, don't necessarily believe what you read in the paper and um, you know, you know, think for yourself. And I I just really liked specifically uh people having good arguments, uh and good um being able to to convince each other with uh with like valid points like that was really interesting to me it was so i initially like started a, a blog where i would um it, what really bothered me was people uh, using like pithy generalizations to uh, make their points like the thing the kind of things that people share on memes and bumper stickers like um even something like freedom isn't free or like if guns, uh, if guns kill people, then spoons make, uh, then spoons make people fat. Like it's funny. I, I, I saw one of those the other day. Mm -hmm. I, 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 it, it said war is not the answer. Mm -hmm. And you know, like from my background, I was like, Oh, isn't that beautiful? And then I'm thinking, you know, if you're mm -hmm. in Ukraine right now, right. War kind of is the answer. Like, right. You know, it's either that either you fight or you get taken over. So I thought it is pithy and it sounds, I guess, mm -hmm. what, what John Stewart used to call truthy, mm -hmm. like, or, or is it Colbert, one of those Colbert, guys. Colbert, yeah. Yeah. But, but like, it's not true. Right. And the more general it is, like, the more false it is. So I, I, uh, the name of my original blog was called all generalizations are false. And I thought I was like the one to come up with that. So like, that's a generalization, which means it right. itself is false. Like some generalizations are actually true. Uh, 
somebody told me like actually Mark Twain came up with that. So I swear I didn't see it from him, but you know, we were thinking of the same thing in the ether, whatever. Um, I'm happy to credit Mark Twain, but all generalizations are false. And it was on this idea that like, yeah, the, the pithier your argument is like the less true it is. So, um, it, but people don't often have time for like longer arguments and, um, and teasing out analogies yeah. or finding where it, so I love analogies. I love that analogy section on the SAT um, and and the LSAT uh, where like this is like this and this is not like this. And that's where the whole like if guns kill people and spoons make people fat thing. I was like that's just a terrible analogy. And let's talk about why. But you know, fewer people want to read a two thousand word essay on why that's a terrible analogy <laughs> than want to share the pithy meme on Facebook. So the seeds of your present work mm-hmm. were, were there. Yeah. Like even at your salesperson, you got this blog and you're, 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 you're thinking about the news and then you go to law school and you become, you become what kind of lawyer? A patent lawyer. I ended up practicing a lot around software. Uh, software was not my background. I never coded or anything, uh, but I had to learn a lot about software because my, my clients were doing that. So, so at what point do you transition from all that stuff to what you're doing now? So 2016, that election year, that was a magic moment for me because I uh, was examining how people on Facebook, you you know, you're not on Facebook um, and you miss out on, on all of this. Again, it's a good thing because so many people lost friends and family relationships. Like they broke during uh, the 2016 election. I mean, Hillary and Trump, like the level of vitriol online and in between, um, you know, people who would otherwise had great relationships just got turned up to an 11. And I noticed a thing that people would do with their Facebook arguments. Uh, they would share links to news sources that they thought were convincing to themselves. And they would share that with people who are their political opposites. And, you know, no surprise, they didn't work. So somebody from the right would be like, oh, I'm right. Hillary is terrible because look at this article from Breitbart. And the, the person on the left would be like, well, I don't believe that because it's Breitbart. And then they say, look at this article. This is Donald Trump's a racist from HuffPost. And they're like, well, I don't believe HuffPost because it's a you know, liberal. You know, and it was just really ineffective, right? But people are so convinced by their own media. And people would do worse things than that. They would share, you know, YouTube conspiracy theory links, just really terrible sources of information. So uh, I thought, you know, I was thinking about, uh, a couple things. The fact that um, people like short explanations uh, and like to you know share pictures and memes, um, and uh, and uh, people should know that like there are some news sources that are better, some that are worse, some that are okay, and there's some that are left and right. But then there are some that are really extremely so that are worse. They're not all the same just because they're left and right. Uh, and I thought, hey, you know, a picture of like news media would be helpful. Like it would sort of um, hit all these all these things that I'd been thinking about. It would hit like the fact that people want to share things that are um, easily shareable and in picture format. Uh, as a as a patent lawyer, I knew that I would have to explain really complex ideas 
in lots of words, but also lots of pictures. And without the pictures, it's like really hard to understand all the words sometimes. We're so many of us are visual and auditory learners. So I spent some time putting together this like map of the media landscape and like thinking about what does make a news source good in most people's eyes and what makes it, you know, okay or really bad. What makes it left and right? Like what are the uh, qualities of actual content itself that makes it that way? And so I like to say this, I'm a huge nerd. I, you know, so as a hobby, I would like work on this uh, nights and weekends. And I actually drew the first version of the media bias chart in Microsoft Visio, which is the computer program that I use uh, for doing patent drawings. And I used it because I didn't know how to use Photoshop. Like, I'm not a graphic designer or anything like that else, else like that. I mean, first version was kind of ugly. But it was really, really, really popular. Like, I put it online and it just went massively viral. What year was this? This is a 2016. It was right, 2016. Before, right before the okay. election. So, so here's, here's the thing. A couple of thing, couple of thoughts that come to my mind is, the first thing is, I want to tell you that in my intro to this podcast, I'm going to insist that everybody go look at the media bias chart before yeah. they listen to the podcast. Otherwise, they won't know why. Right. Like they are, it, podcasting is not a visual medium. And right. like, so I'm going to try to make sure that everybody knows what we're talking about. Yeah. But in a sense, it's, it's, it's really a pretty simple chart. It is. Because it goes left to right, charting left to right. You know, how biased is somebody to the left? How biased is somebody to the right? And then up and down, it goes levels of reliability from the lowest reliability at the bottom to the highest reliability at the top. And it's kind of interesting to me, like it's, it, it, it sort of forms almost a perfect bell curve. Almost, you know, reliability and bias are highly, but not perfectly correlated. So there are some things that are like in the middle and mi middle is not best. So, but people sometimes think that we're saying the middle is best because there is a high correlation. Because, you know, if you think about a news source that's trying to be minimally biased um, and just report a lot of facts, you know, having a lot of facts puts it at the top of the chart um, and, you know, being minimally biased puts it in the middle of the chart. So there's just a lot of ov overlap there. But middle can mean, you know, it's either minimally biased, like I said, or centrist, like centrist is actually a political position, so you can be biased towards centrism uh, and end up in the middle. And or it could be balanced, like a balance of biases. So you can have, you know, certain podcasts that, uh, especially that have very left leaning and very right leaning guests on different podcasts, and it sort of shakes out to the middle. Doesn't mean it's necessarily the best. There's just balance. So so let me let me go back because get and get a few words right because, you know, left and right. Yeah. What's interesting is I used to think I knew what those words meant. <laughs> the, the more you think about it, the more you're not sure what they mean. Yeah. What What do you What do they mean now? Like to you when you're because you're rating people, you're saying this is a really left wing or this is a really right wing. What does it mean? What defines somebody who's left wing right now or right wing? So we the the left right spectrum used to um, initially say uh, liberal and conservative. But that's um, a bit, uh, is not as broad as left and right. Left and right are broader because within conservative, you have like, you know, or within right, you have, you know, libertarian uh, and then like more traditional conservative. And then you have folks that call themselves alt-right, 
or neoconservatives uh, on the left you have like neo neoliberals or uh are uh classical liberals le- left the uh, you know, liberals as we define them in the united states or progressives which are further left than than that so you know left and, and, and you, right and you even have anarchists don't you wouldn't they go all the way over there right or are they or, not there Right. If you would have, if people identify as like democratic socialists or socialists, or it would be further left, uh, anarchists, you know, you could make an argument that that would be like the, f- the furthest left possibly. Um, it is sort of like the extreme sort of meet uh, and overlap in some, in some senses. But, 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 but in terms of this, like I uh-huh. used to think that, and maybe I'm still right, or maybe I never was, that conservative, one of the things that characterized them was a great suspicion of government, uh, big government. Mm -hmm. The conservatives wanted less government programming, less taxation, uh, a smaller government. And liberals were more people that that favored a bigger government, and they were more suspicious of corporate power. Um, And does that that attitude about government and attitude about corporate power, do those things figure into this? Yes. But in but left and right, really, it covers so many concepts. So here's how we think about this, okay? Our left-right spectrum is based, it, it's anchored in a, in a couple of principles. One, it's uh, three, three main ones. It's U.S., it's contemporary, and it's based on positions of elected officials. So let's go through those one by one. U.S. The left-right spectrum in the U.S. is not the same as it is in Canada, France, Saudi Arabia, you know, North Korea, right? It's just not, it's not the same uh, region by region. So we have to sort of bucket it and say, okay, this is a U.S. based media bias chart because we're U.S. analysts looking at U.S. news content, right? You have to uh, frame it somewhere. Uh, It's it's contemporary because uh, what's left and right changes over time. People uh, refer to the concept of the Overton window uh, in terms of like how dialogue shifts with like what's acceptable dialogue. Um, and so that's a related concept, like what's left and right um, shifts over time. And we have to, we're trying to measure the media. We're not measuring people, right? We're measuring media content, like the words that are being produced in print, on, uh, on air, etc. Right, and so since we're measuring that, we have to benchmark it against something else within our American society that is left and right. And so you can try to say like, well, there's really three options. You can go off of like uh, positions of elected officials. You could go off the media itself. You could go off of like what people in society generally think, right? Um, But since we're measuring the media, we can't anchor it on the media. Um, Measuring what generally people think, like. Uh, via polling and stuff is a bit squishy, right? Um, the the most uh, measurable thing we can anchor it on is the positions of current elected officials, because we can document the things that they say and do in terms of policy actions and positions. They say that uh, things on social media, on TV, in their platforms, their speeches, their you know, and they vote. Events. Yeah, and they vote on their policies and uh, and and actions. So we we. Uh, measure on that. Now you talked, you covered a couple of different uh, topics, just in terms of like what's liberal and conservative, in terms of like government spending and corporate power, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many issues upon which we can, um, you know, we can cast something left or right: guns, abortion, race, uh, taxes, K through twelve education, defense spending, immigration. You know, it just there's states' a, rights. Yeah, yeah, long, long list, right? So 
when we're measuring content, we are looking, usually a piece of content isn't talking about like 52 issues. Usually a piece of content is talking about like one issue or maybe two Mm -hmm. or three related issues. So each issue you can think of like as on a left left to right spectrum. So we have our analysts, like we have analysts from left, right, and center, and we have them self-rate according to these various positions. And people are complex. And usually people aren't like all, I'm completely right wing or I'm completely left wing on everything. You know, people have nuanced views on um, all those things I mentioned on the race and abortion and immigration, et cetera. So we have them like label themselves one by one, because when we're looking at an article, we're going to say, you know, on abortion, is this article um, left-leaning or right-leaning or center, you know, based on what we know about like the current U.S. left-right on abortion. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you you mentioned the we. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that first one, that first one in yeah. 2016 was that you, like in your basement, just me <laughs> making all the all the judgments yourself. Yeah, which is super biased, right? Because it's just me. Oh so, yeah, yeah. I, it's funny because I saw an article from 2016 about this, and it says now the liberals have a way of like, and it was accusing you of raiding the media like pretending to be objective, but you're really just a liberal shill. And, <laughs> yes, um, I'm the liberals. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it sounds like at this stage in the game, how, how, how early on did you realize that it couldn't be a one-person show? Oh, I got that feedback like pretty immediately. Um, people <laughs> were like, well, you're biased. I'm like, well, yeah, that's true. So how would I make this less biased? And I, so I knew I would have to have multiple people. Um, and at first I didn't think this is going to be like this. I didn't think I was going to start a company um, and leave my um, lawyer career to do this. Um, that's where we are now. But uh, I, I just worked on it by myself and I just took feedback from folks online. And I, I got a lot of feedback from folks online, as you can imagine. Um, people have opinions on like, well, CNN is too high or too low or too left or too right. And then, you know, folks on the left would be like, oh, this is too far right. And people on the right would say, oh, this is too far left. And so I had a sense that like, it was in the ballpark, right? I was in the general area. Um, well, but- and, and, and did you, I, I would think you also got a lot of feedback that was going like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yes. I struggle so much to know whether what who to trust in terms of reliability and also to know like if an article comes from I mean Breitbart's easy, right? right? And so is HuffPost for that sure. matter. But like somebody, you know, like can I trust this outlet? Can I trust that? Do I know where they're coming from? And so you must have just gotten so many people going like, thank you. You are the answer to my prayers. Yeah. that I think that's why it got so popular because we're in this moment where people are like, I don't know what to trust. People are just overwhelmed by the sheer number of information sources. And this is a fairly new problem. Like we didn't used to have tens of thousands of information sources, literally tens of thousands. I mean, this is a problem that's new as of like the last 12 to 15 years. Um, And yeah, I had so many people saying, oh, I'm just going to stay up in the green box. So like there's a little, you know, green box at the top, minimally, least biased, highest reliability news sources. And there's a ton in there and uh, folks would look at it. I mean, even folks that were like, you know, news savvy, but they were getting all of their news from left-leaning opinion or right-leaning opinion, 
you know, that opinion content is not the same as news. Uh, and they were not differentiating between it. They're like, okay, I'm a lot more sane when I just, you know, focus on stuff that is least biased and more fact reporting. Is there, I, I, you know, I'm, where I'm going with this, because again, I'm, I have this audience of people yeah. that are trying to figure out how to make the most of their lives. You know, like this is the one that we've got. How do I be a good person? You know, it's they, a great they, question. They and they've sort of committed themselves to like, I think the way to be a, to make the most of my life is to love other people and to do stuff that makes things better for other people yeah. and to cultivate gratitude. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you're trying to do those things, the news cycle is not necessarily the most inspiring place to be. Right. But, but a lot of us are sort of asking the question, what should I be? Like, how much should I be consuming news? What news should I be consuming? Um what's the, what's the, what, what makes me a good citizen? What makes me a good friend? And so in this, in this kind of context, I think what I'm wondering is, okay, so you're, you're helping people figure out what, where things lie on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Is there a reason why somebody would say it's important if you want to be a good person, you need to, you need to read a little Breitbart once <laughs> in a while. <laughs> you, or, or you need to read a little bit of of hyper left wing stuff because otherwise you're not. You, you need to know you're reading propaganda, but you need to read it. Do Do you find any value in not not just staying in the green box? Do, yes. do you go outside the green box? Oh yeah, and it's a great exercise. Um, so it, we we actually really encourage this for uh, all the reasons you mentioned. Um, you know, being a, and I love, I love the, the question that you're exploring, like how to, um, you know, make the most of your life. Like you, you've got one shot, right? Uh, the one shot that we know of. So let's, um, let's make the most out of it. And generally like leaving the world better than you found it, making a difference for others, like loving others. Um, I think that's something that you, it sounds like you and your audience is aligned around and the information we consume and how it has us interrelate to others in our society and our families uh, is a big part of that because we're getting information from somewhere. So, you know, first off, want to issue the idea of like, you know, just blocking out all news because it's negative or like makes us feel bad or, or what have you. Like we have to get information from somewhere. Um, and even if you think, if people say like, oh, I would just ignore the news. I mean, you, you're getting like information seeps into your like uh, awareness from somewhere, whether it's just like overhearing somebody's conversation. So to be like responsibly informed, I think is, is uh, step one. And that's like where the, you know, Least, yeah, least I don't bias. think anybody's. Right. I don't think anybody's going to argue with you on like. Listen, it's a, it's important to be responsibly informed. Help me now. Help me. Yeah. So yeah, start with like you know, um, for your own news consumption, like just to know what's going on in, in the world and like how it affects you and how you can affect other people. Uh, least bias, most reliable. Yes, of course. But what you mentioned is like you know, reading something that's like your political opposite um, from time to time, uh, or your political extreme on your own side. Uh, here's why that's helpful. Okay. I don't know if you've uh, ever had this experience, uh, you or somebody, you know, where you walk into a room and the cable news channel that you hate the most is playing. Uh, and you, you say, or someone else says, Oh, just turn that off. I can't even stand. I can't even stand to listen to that garbage. Right. When we are presented with information that contradicts our beliefs, it's a natural defense mechanism to like, uh, want to, 
shut it out and expel it. And, and it actually makes us like feel sick to, uh, to consume it. So my analysts, we have left, right and center analysts, like I mentioned before, uh, I warned them that the first couple weeks uh, of doing this work, they're actually going to feel sick listening to content, really extreme right-wing or left-wing content that's opposite from them. Um, because it's a visceral reaction. It just like literally makes you feel bad. Um, but you get and over you have that. No, and you've developed no tolerance for it because you've kept it out of your life. Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, but it's really important to know, like, when I remember when I first had this experience, like I wanted to rate all the cable news shows. So I had to watch all the cable news shows and I would watch some of it and be like, now I understand why half the country is like this. Right. Because if you're consuming, like I've never consumed this content, but somebody else, this is all the content they consume. This is like the whole world. This is true to them. So now I have a window into somebody else's world and their truth and their reality. And that's a great place to start because think of like the, you know, the quintessential example, Thanksgiving dinner example, where you have so many conservative liberal family members, and then one of the people says something um, that's like a pretty standard to them, conservative or liberal talking point, and it sounds just so shocking and offensive to somebody else that's never heard it before, right? So one, it's sort of like inoculation. You know, if you uh, can, if you hear somebody's conservative or liberal talking point that you like really disagree with, but it's not the first time you've heard of it, you're going to be like less shocked and angry when you hear it. And you will have some like sort of prep, like mental preparation um, and perhaps like an argument in your, in your back pocket um, to like discuss that particular point. If you've never heard it before, yeah. you're just like, you're shocked, you're angry and you're like, no, that's not true. But yeah. And you know what? So often the first thing you say is, how can you possibly think that? Exactly. How could you possibly believe that? And that's that's an incredibly that puts somebody so on the defensive. Mm-hmm. And so you're basically saying you'd have to be an idiot to believe that. Yes. And the truth is that when you hear it on Fox News or on the other side, on you know, with CNN is that the other sort right. of and, the and MSNBC, yeah, MSNBC, that's the one, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you go like, oh, I can see how you could believe that. I can yeah. see how you could, yeah, that, that makes, okay. If somebody I, said I, it to you a hundred times, like, yeah. of course you might believe that, yeah. right? It might resonate with you. Um, it's an argument that like appeals to your moral foundations already. Uh, and it's like really not that far off base. So yeah, it, it just creates a lot more understanding when you can um, expose yourself to that, uh, the arguments from the other side. So you're saying that the diet should have some centrist, like some stuff at the mm. high level of reliability right. and the high level of um, the, l- the, the low bias, level yeah. of bias. Yeah, the least bias, the most reliable. But you're like, you also ought to season that diet with some stuff coming from the extremes mm-hmm. so that you have some basis of understanding of, of, of some of the people you're going to encounter in the world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I... Uh, every uh, every week, you know, we we um, sell med- media literacy programs to uh, to schools, and we have this exercise uh, called Topic of the Week, where it's just like rate these rate these articles like Adfontes Media Analysts would rate them for bias and reliability, just article by article. And so we'll pick like six articles from uh, you know across the media landscape, left, right, center, high, low, reliability about the same topic, and you just see like the same news topic, just completely you know, alternate realities on one side or the other. And that's like, it's important to know that. 
But I understand how you can relate bias, how you how you can rate bias. Mm-hmm. Reliability. How do you? I mean, I mean, isn't don't you have to wait six months to see if like were they telling the truth? <laughs> like how, how? Like like if I just pick up a, an article, I can tell the bias of it, but 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 I can't tell if there really were seven school children that were um, that were called racist names, or if that was made up. I I don't know. Right. How do you know? So just like bias, the more you think about it, the more like you, you feel like you don't know what you're, <laughs> you're talking about. It. But look, philosophers have re- wrestled with a question of like, how do we know what we know since the beginning of philosophy, right? Uh, it's like epistemology, the study of how we know what we know. And we, unfortunately, I think the way that we're taught about like truth and opinion in, uh, in school, like we're taught it at a very young age and it's very like binary and simple, like, you know, true or false, the sky is blue, like true or false, like George Washington was a you know, first president. And, you know, a lot of things are just like, in the middle, like they're neither true nor false, or like they're mostly true or um, mostly false, or you know, the, there's like a likelihood of of truth, and it's not just truth, right? There's uh, how articles are expressed. Now, people, we also think of this in sort of a simplistic binary, like um, like fact versus opinion, or news versus opinion. So the examples that we learn when we're in school is, uh, you know, fact is. George Washington was the first president and an opinion is I like broccoli. And, you know, there are gradients of those things. It's not just people talk about news and opinion, but so much of our content is actually something in the middle, which is analysis. Like you have fact reporting at the top, then you have analysis in the middle, which is a lot of our news landscape. And then you have opinion. What's the difference between analysis and opinion? Density of facts used to support the conclusions. So let's let's go through that. Like our definition of reliability is a very specific definition. Okay, so re- reliability is how much can you rely on a source or an article to be truthfully and factfully, widely and thoroughly informed about new information that affects you and others. Okay, so let. I won't go through all of those, but factfully, like not just factually, like literally full of facts. The density of facts in an article is a really big clue as to uh, uh, the the overall reliability. It's an indicator. It's an indicator. Seven o five p.m. It happened. It was at this corner. These people were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like the who, what, when, where, but not the why. The why is not a fact right? Um, the why is a conclusion. It's an inference. It's a statement of meaning. Sometimes in addition to the, to those things, we have predictions, uh, about the future on uh, the more, the more out there in the future it is, the more it's like speculation. So, you know, we measure, we have various different sub factors for measuring reliability. And one of the, so a main sub factor is the expression. Is it expressed as fact? Like, is it listing out a bunch of facts in sequence who, what, when, where, um, is it expressed as analysis where you've got like fact, fact, and a conclusion, right? Fact, fact, this is what it means. Um, opinions are just mostly like conclusions, just things that are like, you know, they are, um, they're, maybe they're provable, maybe they're disprovable. An example would be like, somebody says government corruption is absolute. Okay. Is that true? 
Like, well, I mean, you could find like examples that support that and you could find examples that disprove that. Right. Um, so that's what we call, uh, tend to call opinion, but you know, that's when somebody says that we take that as, um, we should take that as opinion. So there, there may be facts that would support it, but I'm not, I'm not quoting any. I'm, yeah, exactly. Just, okay. We're just, we're just going straight to the generalization. Right. We're going straight yeah. to the conclusion. Okay. So, so I, that's helpful. That's really helpful to me. Now, now, as, it's funny when you talk about fact checkers. I once, I'm just going to impress you here. Sure. I was once profiled by the New York Times Magazine. I read um, that. It was impressive. Yeah. Thank you. That's the only article that's ever been written about me that, you know. But it was in um, the New York Times, so. It was a very exciting yeah. paper of record, right? Yeah. Legit journalist wrote that article. So, so as he's writing it, I get a call from the fact checker from the yeah. New York Times who's sort of like, can you tell me the address of the McDonald's restaurant where this story took place? And I mean, she was just down to it. And I'm thinking like, this is just a puff piece about like a nice guy who works with college students. Um, but I was, I was impressed by that. Yeah. And I was, I was listening to Cameron Crowe, the filmmaker talking about making almost famous that when he was writing for the New York times as a young person, he was always getting hassled by the fact checkers. And the interviewer said, fact checkers, who has fact check? Like whose blog has a fact checker? Like, you know, you know, he's like, most of the information that we're consuming today, nobody's checking the facts. Right. And that's a, it, I wish more people understood that about how journalism is created. Um, people who know that are people who have like maybe taken journalism class, right? Or people who have been interviewed um, right. and, uh, and had to feel the fact-checking calls. Yeah, I remember the first time uh, a fact-checker called me for, uh, for an article. I had the same experience. And, you know, that's the standard practice at um, most reputable, um, like long-standing, lar large enough organizations. But you know, there are tens of thousands of public information sources that are not that. Like it, it doesn't take any fact checkers, like you said, to put up a blog. I mean, you can have one or two people put out a ton of content on the internet with a, with no fact checking at all. So and it ask, can look yeah. really good. It can have yeah. a really good masthead, mm -hmm. and I mean that stuff can look so reliable. Yeah, and there's so like how do we like. Uh, I'll jump to like, how do we do it? Because people, I, I talked about the expression, you know, uh, yeah. fact analysis opinion, but veracity is a different thing. It, it's like a, something can be expressed as fact, but it's completely untrue. Like, what do you do then? Right. Um, and you, you asked about like, well, how do I know that, um, you know, uh, I forget the example uh, that seven, uh, yeah, children seven were called kids a name. were called racist names. Yeah. Right. How, how do you, uh, how do you know that? So we have to, uh, we, we we don't realize how much we rely on others that are closer to the information than us to get information because you know we live in a world of now eight billion people. Um, now how do I how do I know that? How do I did, was I counting that there's like you know eight billion people? No, I read it in a bunch of news articles today that like the world's population has crossed eight billion. But like think about how do I actually know that and how do I know that it's true? Well, like I personally don't like i personally have not counted right um but i am relying on a network of information professionals um whose job it is to like get me that information and that includes like demographers um you know across the world and then the journalists uh who collect the information from those demographers to repeat it to me right 
So how do I make like a valid judgment on whether that's true or not? Oh, I have to rely on a bunch of different um, signals and heuristics. And we're doing this all the time. We just don't like really realize that we're doing it. What does that mean? It's a shortcut. So like a shortcut? Is that all yeah. it means? It's a okay. shortcut. Mm-hmm. Mental shortcut? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think that's what we do. We do like, it, it's funny because sometimes they fail us. Like one of my heuristics growing up was if somebody speaks with a Southern accent, they're not that smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I learned in college, you know, mm-hmm. that's uh, that's not actually a reliable way of figuring out who's smart. It's not. And we have these tools for figuring out like what's true. And sometimes we over rely on them and are they, um, they, they uh, don't serve as well. So like a, an a- easy acronym for remembering the things that we uh, rely on is R-E-L-I, rely. Okay? Reputation, evidence, likelihood, and incentives. Okay. So evidence and likelihood are the best ones. Okay. Evidence is the best. Uh, likelihood really helps a lot too. Reputation and incentives are sort of the worst ones, but they're the ones we rely on the most. Just because that's usually like where we have like the reputation of the New York Times or the reputation of Breitbart or the reputation of HuffPost, right? We feel like we know those from those sources, but then what happens if you don't have never heard of the source? Nah, I can't go on reputation anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny until the 2016 election, I relied on the New York times so heavily mm-hmm. because I thought they were unbiased. Mm-hmm. And I know that, I, I know that they're not as biased as the, but like, I felt like the New York times saw Trump coming and they were like, we're from New York. We know this is bad. And they just like, we're going to set aside our, 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 unbiased thing for this election and we're going to try to we're going to try to take this guy down and that was like jarring for folks another thing that's jarring is like uh people don't know really how to sort uh predictions so uh like predictions about polling people were like well the new york times lied because their polling said that hillary was going to win like well were they wrong or were they giving you um were they giving you percentages right so the best book on this uh, and on decision-making of like how to determine like what's true when you don't have all the information, I think is actually the subtitle of this book. The title of the book is called Thinking and Bets by Annie Duke, who's a poker player. Oh, you should interview her if you, uh, if you have a chance. I heard her on an interview and she was fabulous. Oh my gosh. That book is amazing. But it talks about these like percentages, right? Um, yeah. Like if you... If somebody says like, you know, Hillary has a 90% or 95% chance of winning, it means that like if 5% of the time she could lose, right? And so people look at that and say, you know, the 5% happened, they were wrong. It's like, no, it was a probability. Oh, that's good. That's, yeah, I, that's exactly a great way to explain it. Because yeah, if I said she's 95% going to win, she could lose. Yeah, but we conflate and those two. She like did we conflate those two in our in our head? We're like it was wrong, it was a lie, you know, and that's just not that's just not the case. Okay, so so I'm 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 going to jump. Okay, yeah, because you were talking about the the the, the, the I being incentive, mm-hmm. incentive, and I keep thinking like you're rating all these news sources on their uh, bias and on their reliability, but I've got a third thing that's worrying me, and that is. I'm aware that all of these news outlets make money by getting people to watch them mm-hmm. or read them, which means that they're incentivized 
to tell the stories that will get me to watch rather than necessarily the stories that are the most important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some sensational like Kim Kardashian goes to see Trump in the White House. And that's a story. I don't know that that's actually one of the most important political stories of that day. But boy, that girl looks really interesting standing at the desk. And so that's what they do. And so I feel like we live in, a, in an environment where most of our news sources are on ad revenue models. Mm-hmm. Where they just want to get you, it's, they're not, their primary concern is not to tell you the truth. Their primary concern is to get you to watch. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're balancing uh, incentives too. The reason why incentives is just a, is just a poor heuristic is because there's so many competing ones and there are so many, uh, but, and if you over rely on them, then, uh, like it's it's just it's just a bad signal, right? So if you say that like the so and so is just telling you this to make money, yes, but like we all do things for money. That doesn't mean that we don't also do things for other reasons. Yeah. And like every organization is owned by something or someone. Um, somebody has to be making some uh, money somewhere. So like people always ask about like the ownership, and ownership is like. Again, it's a. I don't even have it on the list because it's like such a poor heuristic. Uh, it's a. You say like, oh, it's owned by a big corporation, and therefore X. Like the bigger the corporation is, the more people it has, uh, and you know the frontline journalists don't necessarily have the same incentives as the uh, top line executives, right? It's, so, like incentives are. Uh, there's just so many competing ones that if you just say. Uh, if you make it so simplistic, saying they're only telling you this because um, because they want money, uh, you're just going to well, fall I'm, short. You're going to miss something. I'm not so much worried about that they're going to lie to me within the story. I'm worried that they're going to tell me the stories that will get me to buy the paper. And so they might be very reliable in what they're telling mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. but they're making mm-hmm. editorial choices for financial reasons. Th- that's it's a slightly different incentive thing where it is where and and that's what i i guess because when i pick up different newspapers especially when i go overseas if i read a paper there they're just like the world they're reporting on is completely different it that has a lot you're right there is uh there's so much incentive in terms of like revenue and not just ad revenue but subscription revenue to like get people to to come back and spend money so it, people refer to like the like a golden age in, in journalism um where you know journalism has not always been like you know, unbiased or bias has gone through these waves, like, uh, initial newspapers, uh, things are called, um, you know, the, like a county, like the Democrat or the Republican, because they used to be like partisan, uh, actual newspapers. And then right. there was a period of time where, you know, getting the biggest audiences, um, meant like having, uh, not alienating anybody and, um, uh, like providing news that everyone could rely on. So we did have this golden age of journalism where you could have the biggest audiences by having news for, for everyone. Now we've gone away from from that because we have such fragmented uh, such fragmented media landscape and people can like listen to the news that they like and they agree with and that creates these incentives for people to create stuff that like just their audience wants right so if you look at like Washington Post you know 
pretty much no matter what, like the uh, politics horse race stuff is the stuff that's at the top. You know, that's where they're at. And that's like um, it, even more so than like, um, you know, New York Times or Wall Street Journal. It's, it's a little bit more subtle. New York Times would tend to cover like more like world events would be higher. Uh, whereas like Wall Street Journal would ha- tend to have finance events uh, higher up on, on the masthead. Right. But if you read uh, The Economist or, um, you know, some international, like uh, BBC or Al Jazeera um, that focuses on, like, uh, international news, then you see uh, much different stories that are up at the top, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, reputable publications, they're they're always trying to balance, like, we know these things get more clicks and views, and we want to also be reputable and bring you, like, the important information. So it's the... The publications themselves struggle with this. It's like um, I like I use this analogy all the time of like junk news being like junk food, and you know for a long time, like uh, even today, uh, producers of junk food they're in that position because one, it's profitable to produce junk food, you know, and people like it. Right, so people like fat, salt, and sugar. It's cheap for them to make, and they're like, "Well, we're just giving the people what they want." Right, but it's sort of this vicious cycle where, like, yes, people want it, but it's also really bad for them. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, when you have folks that are thinking a little bit more like long term about what's good for them in terms of their um, their food consumption and their uh, media consumption, people realize, you know, it would be better for me to. Uh, consume content like news content that was healthier more fact-based uh less biased even though like this opinion clickbait stuff is very satisfying gives me that dopamine hit i'm gonna go and choose the better news and then you do have some publishers that are trying to fill that um that need okay so i'm gonna try to do a jujitsu trick here where like i'm gonna bend something you just said with something else you just said and and ask a question that's burning on me when you started this out, one of the things that you noticed was that most people were getting their news not directly from the news source, but filtered to them th- through their social media. Right. And I think that's even more true today. Mm-hmm. That people don't actually read the New York Times. They see an article from the New York Times on somebody's, oh my gosh, did you see this? Or from Breitbart or from Al Jazeera or from wherever. And so it's, it's, it's a big filter. Right. The New York Times, you know, and so, so that's happening. And that's like, and I, what's funny is like, I don't do any of that, but sometimes I look at Yahoo and Yahoo's picked eight stories and they're not the eight most important stories. They're the stories that Yahoo thinks I will be most likely to click on Yes, um, or YouTube. Oh yes. my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like I open up to YouTube to, to see a video of a soccer game highlights. I want to see, and boy, they know me like a book. And so, 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 okay. So I got all these filters Mm -hmm. and I go like, I think it's dangerous to let those corporations algorithms choose which news stories. I also think it's dangerous to let uncle Joe from Wyoming pick what news stories I listen to. So I think I'm better off like going to actual outlets. So here's my question, Vanessa. Yeah. I, I want to be a, a vibrant human being. I want to spend time with children and teach them valuable things. I want to hike and be healthy. I want to spend time with my wife. So I'm going to give like, if I, was, if I had a half hour a day mm-hmm. to be a news, to, to, to consume news that would help me understand the world in, in, in the way that would be the most, that would, that would 
be the be the most healthy. Let's just I'll just use a very broad term, like healthy for me as a human. Mm-hmm. What would you tell me? What would you tell me to do? Well, fortunately, there are um, there are organizations that have tried to like step into this uh, into this space, right? Everyone, as you mentioned, like you have all these competing needs as like a human um, to to meet. And so you're really only going to have time for maybe like three to five new sources a day, right? And you hit the nail on the head. You don't want your habits to be driven by, you don't want your news consumption to be driven by one habit or two algorithm, or even worse, habits that's developed by algorithm. And that's what so many people um, got in the habit of doing. Like I had noticed that like I had discovered, you know, partisan sites that I liked through Facebook. And then I started visiting them every day. Like those are the three that I visited and they were all kind of the same as each other and have the same thoughts, right? So um, today there are some good solutions out there. One, like I would uh, like news, news apps for some, a few like minimally biased highest reliability sources like AP news. Um, it, it, great app to like have on your phone. Um, you know, AP is one of the largest uh, journalism organizations in the world. Um, has over you know, 2,000 journalists plus a bunch of stringers like worldwide. That's like by far and away um, one of the biggest. Um, and they would and they rank high both in veracity, yeah, and, and, and also in terms of they're 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 very balanced. Yeah, yes. And then your local news is important because it's like your local community. So your um, uh, do you have a what do you think is your in Cincinnati is your um, like le- the best local paper? Well, the only really significant local paper that actually has a staff that goes out there is the Cincinnati Inquirer. It's very right wing. Mm, okay. Um, it, it, yeah, that's one of the challenges of uh, of local news today. Unfortunately, especially we do have in a little some, city like mine. We, yeah, we do have uh, uh, some news deserts. So uh, there are also some really great um, uh, some great email newsletters. So there's one um, called uh, 1440 uh, that uh, that polls news uh, it, it highly curated like minimally biased um and, and links to news sources from a variety of other reliable sources okay so you just within that one digest you'll get like a you know daily digest there are a few other like other reputable publications like you know like the new york times and wall street journal and and washington post and politico like have good daily digests what's good- the most reliable right wing right like right leaning right leaning i would say the wall street journal wall street journal uh-huh. okay yeah. And what's the most reliable left-leaning? Would that be the New York Times? Yeah, I would say the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the those are like fun. And people will criticize both of those heavily, heavily and be like, oh, it's owned by Rupert Murdoch. Oh, you know, it's, uh, you know, all the liberal complaints about the New York Times. Look, um, some of these are like functions of the things that we touched on. They have fact-checking and like they have real staffs of journalists. Uh, journalists. Um, those are two of the largest actual journalism organizations covering national news in the United States. They have the most resources. That makes a big difference in what they're able to bring to you. Okay? Oh, yeah. uh, for international, like the uh, Economist, just start by like just scouring that news landscape. Like our, our chart is actually a, a pretty good resource because this is not an exhaustive list. Like there are other really great publications out there. Like ProPublica is a great publication, um, you know, d- does investigative journalism. Uh, again, nothing out there is perfect, like without mistakes or anything, but you know, the higher it is on our, our list for reliability, um, you know, there's again, great podcasts. Uh, and there are podcasts that just 
are 10 minutes of the news. Like that's all, they're just headlines. Mm. Um, and there's, there's a Fox news podcast. It's just like the, uh, I forget exactly what it's called. I think it's called like Fox hourly update. And people are sort of like shocked that it's up there. They're like, well, this is Fox. How can this possibly be so reliable? Well, it's literally five minutes of just headlines. It's like minimally biased. And it's not like, it's nothing like, you know, primetime Fox opinion wow. uh, commentary. So it's the format like go to our chart. <laughs> I, I keep telling yeah. people so we have an interactive media bias chart online that you can just like literally type in a name of any of the thousands of sources we have rated and it'll pop up and show you oh uh, where it is. Okay. Um, I didn't see that one. Yeah. That's great. So, That's great yeah. to know. Hey, so on behalf of your father, um, yeah. I feel like, you know, you, you, you've kind of, it feels like you're, you're, you're doing it in the sense of, he said, Hey, don't trust everything. And, and you've got this whole team. Are most of the people that are doing the doing the judgments for you? Are they are they mostly volunteers? Nope, or they're all they, they're, they're all paid. You're, you're paying them all. You're yep. paying all these people. Yep. Um, you know, I I guess the other part of it that I I would say is is that you know you wanted to be a doctor because you wanted to help people, and I feel like this is terrifically helpful. Um, not just this conversation, but like when I look at the project, I go like. This is really important work, and I think it does make the world a better place. Thank you. That's uh, what I'm shooting for. I mean, I the reason I left my law practice was not because I hated that job. That was a good job. <laughs> it like, paid really well, and it was yeah. like quite, quite a wonderful career. Uh, but I feel like I could change the world, and I feel like we are changing the world for the better. And, and if, if you achieved it all, if this, if this project did what it was supposed to do— mm-hmm. What would be the outcome for you? Like, what's what's the what's the landscape that you want to see? It, surely, it's not this one, right? So, I think we eventually live in we we evolve to the place where we can handle all the information that's out there. Like, we're currently in this like growing growing pains stage where like we have more information available to us than we really know how to deal with and consume. Uh, and that's happened before in history uh, with the printing press, right? Uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, with radio, there were these initial freakouts about like this new form of communication, but ultimately more, um, more interpersonal communication is like a net benefit to society. But then there's like these growing pains and we're in this current growing pain stage. So ultimately, you know, a news consumers just being able to sort the information for themselves, uh, into like what's reliable, uh, unreliable, uh, highly biased, uh, less biased. Uh, you'll just see people like you know, young people today will have these skills when they're when they're older, um, and also because of that, the demand for the misinformation and the extreme polarizing content will fade away. So it's it's going to be like a um, it, it's it's going to be like a slow like evolution or like won't happen overnight. But then one day you'd be like, remember when we had all that fake news and like super partisan stuff? Like, what was that all about? Like we were, we were in a crazy mode there and it'll be because like we've helped people sort through the media landscape. That, I mean, it's, it's funny. I was listening. I was like, wow, this woman consumes more news than I've even thought about. And she's still like optimistic. (laughs) Because <laughs> like I mean, it's tremendous optimism in what you're saying. And you're saying like, if we make people literate and we help them to understand what they're consuming, mm-hmm. 
they'll choose to consume the stuff mm-hmm. that is the healthiest for our society. And and I don't I don't know if that's true, but boy, it's I, it's it's a it's a hopeful thought. I have lots of good reasons for this optimism. Uh, one of them I see every day in my analysts, my analyst shifts. So we have like 40 people who are left, right, and center. Like we have staunch conservatives and staunch progressives. And they sit together in rooms on Zoom going over articles about the most polarizing topics in America today, you know, like race and Trump and religion and abortion and guns, right? And they agree and they have respectful conversations because they, you know, disdain extremism on their own side. Um, they value the connection with the other person, like uh, above, uh, above all else. And they feel like they're doing something to fix society. The, the other reason for optimism, it's like, so like it can be done like with like polarized humans in the United States. It just like takes work. Wait, wait, wait can I, can I interrupt you just yeah. for a second? That's a lovely image. It kind of reminds me of all these rooms that I've been in where you have like ardent believers in God Mm -hmm. and lovely secular humanists. And whenever you have lovely believers and lovely non-believers talking very long, invariably the believers end up non-believers because it it just, if if, if you just turn down the volume and just think about the ideas, the ideas tend to take people that way. In a conversation, do you find that that happens in your room? Like, is there is there are those ardent people on the on the post? Like, where does every do people change as a result of working for your organization, and they they find themselves drifting in a direction? Well, I wouldn't say that like they change from like left to right or right to left, um, no. like consistently one way. I would say that uh, folks um, and they end up being able to agree on like fairly moderate positions, like actually policy positions and actions. And that's not a thing that like we see a lot in our elected representatives, right? Right. Um, So you might start out with like, I, I know that if we got our, you know, left and right analysts together and we don't have them do this, if we have them write articles, but we've said, all right, if you two had to like come up with like a compromise policy position for everybody in America to live under regarding guns, right? Um, what would you come up with? And the, it would end up being like fairly, a fairly moderate position just because um, like the volume yeah. is, is turned down and like the, the fact, like having to deal with the fact that it's a complex issue and that there are multiple people who have to live under this, um, you know, with competing values, having to follow the same rules. Um, it, it ends up shaking out that way. So, so in a sense that sort of almost bell curve that I mm-hmm. see when I look at the, at the, at the chart, it feels like if you turn down the volume and and you really focus on the facts, mm-hmm. you get to a high level of reliability that moderates people. Like it's almost like the truth is an argument for moderation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it 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 makes sense if you think about like look half the people half the people in the country think one thing and half the people think uh in the country think an, a total opposite thing like is it what are the chances that, like one side is completely wrong on everything and the other side is completely right yeah. like uh i mean the the likelihood there is just low right this, yeah 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 this all reminds me of sort of my patron saint of this stuff is a guy named Jonathan Haidt oh um, yeah righteous mind the righteous mind and it's required reading for my analysts. Is it really? It is. 
Ah, that makes me feel even more confident. It's part of our training, actually. That, I mean, it's funny because, like, in my humanist group at USC, it was mm-hmm. almost required reading. Those kids passed that around like it was a Bible mm-hmm. because it was this really cogent argument for the idea that our society actually needs people to, to some be more adverse to risk and others be very risk takers. It needs people to be conservative and people to be liberal because the best ideas do not come when everybody's moderate. The best ideas come when people are talking across that boundary in a civil way. Yes. And and so it sounds like that's what, I mean, it sounds like your company is almost like a, uh, a, a, a microcosm of that kind of, that mm-hmm. kind of thought. Yeah. And I, like, a. Uh, I don't want it to sound like like you know being moderate and centrist is like always like the way. I uh, I've long thought that like um, you know liberals need progressives and like you know moderate conservatives need like further right conservatives, um, just because um, they need to like remind each other. So like the folks on the um, that are sort of pushing the envelope um, are real close to like certain values. Like for you know progressives um you know the uh folks are very progressive about like certain like human rights issues like uh, the transgender uh human rights um or like racial human rights um often are like very close to like the problem they're experiencing in their lives and like how much human impact something has right yeah. whereas like a moderate liberal um like yes they agree uh but they um, the passion isn't there. The passion isn't there. They need to be reminded by the yeah. progressive, but the progressive also needs like the more moderate liberal because a more moderate liberal liberal is just in a better position to talk to somebody on the other side that they can actually move policy forward with. Yeah, boy, that's that's well said. I'm I'm just going to stop it right there. That's <laughs> just a really. I mean, you've. You, you, I mean, really, this this conversation's given me a lot of hope. Um, that's what I'm at here for. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, I think, I think you're doing, like I said, I think you're doing a really good work and, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. And, and I really, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, my pleasure. You know, I, uh, I get the compliment sometimes like you're doing God's work and <laughs> so do I, <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, all my mm-hmm. ex-Christian friends are like, you know. I think you're, they always say like, I think you're an anonymous Christian. I think that like later on, you'll find that all that you were doing was really guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, cause, cause the right kind Maybe of Christians, so. the right kind of Christians, whenever they see love or care mm-hmm. or, or, or kindness, they claim it. They go like, somehow that has to do with us. And, and there's something good about that, that somebody who's so confident in their worldview that they're like, if there's good out there. <laughs> We've got our, we, you know, it's it, somehow it, it it comes back to our truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's an empowering way to look at the world. Yeah. <laughs> I wish there were some way I, I mean, you've been really helpful to me. I don't know if there's any way I can ever be helpful to you, but I want you to feel like you've made a friend today. I do and, feel like I've made a friend and you know what, just getting the word out about what we do um, and having it like reach, if it reaches somebody new that finds about out about you know what we do and has it helped them uh you know that's a that's a big help already all right that was me and vanessa otero i hope you dug it
I really like talking to her. I really think we're a little bit farther down the road towards having a good media diet, having a good news diet, at least, at least that part of our media diet, we, we could talk about reality TV and sports and all that other stuff another time. But the news part of it, I feel pretty good about right now. And then it turns out she's a deconverted Lutheran humanist, just like us, you know, not, well, we're not all deconverted Lutherans, but here we are trying to humanize ourselves, trying to make the world a better place. And we found another one. So there, have a great day, and I'll see you next time on Humanize Me. This podcast is made possible by supporters of the show on Patreon. Get an exclusive extra episode every month for less than the cost of a cup of coffee at patreon.com slash humanize me. You'll also get a video newsletter from Bart and some extra goodies. Our patrons make this show happen, so please, if you enjoy it, consider joining us. That's patreon.com slash humanize me. Bart's website where you can contact him is bartcampolo.org. And this episode is produced by Katie Johnson-Smith, me, John Wright, and Bart Campolo. Hey, you could be larger than life.